0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the SeaBets Podcast. We're your hosts, Georgina Pilts And
1: Ruben Cervantes.
0: And today we're starting a mini episode called The Nation's Rage.
1: A mini episode. It's right? going to be small.
0: Yeah, mini. Small.
1: Mini series.
0: Mini series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the episode <laughs> is not going to be five minutes long. It's going to be a mini series. So Thank you for that. <laughs> pregnant brain over here. I love it. And to help us with this is the author of the book, The Nation's Rage, David Sliker. Yeah. Come on. Thanks, Thanks for having right. me. Oh, yeah, of course,
1: everyone knows Dave. He's been with us many, many times. He's the vice president of our university here, and of course, he's been a senior leader at the International House of Prayer for many years and a great teacher. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, related to his writings. He's most known for his book uh, *End Time Simplified*, which is he expanded on. So it's not as simple, <laughs> but it's much more clear. Simple-ish. And so his yeah, the new version just makes it more clear and helpful uh, to to readers to understand kind of the time narrative. But he just completed a new book called The Nation's Rage. And I'm excited about it because it talks about even some of the work I've been doing. So now I have someone that I can quote in my research. <laughs> no, but it's it's a powerful book. And we're going to engage in this because I, f- I feel like it's an extremely relevant conversation to have. And the title The Nation's Rage comes from, you know, Psalms chapter two. So let me just read a little bit about, I mean, there's a couple verses. It starts in Psalms two. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing saying let us burst our bonds break apart um, bonds apart and cast away their cords from us and then, and it keeps going of course talking about this drama and most scholars understand that this is a messianic psalm and it's not so much uh, focused on his first coming as much as it's focused on his final uh, you know his second coming and so this is an interesting title for your book because you're basically saying that's what I'm talking about psalm 2 yes so help me can you just kind of Help me understand why you wrote this book. You, I, I remember when you started writing this, it was when nothing was happening. Right. And all of a sudden it gets published and it's at the time that everything's happening that you wrote about.
2: It's, a, it's really bizarre. <laughs> it is. I remember it was last fall, it was a year ago. Of course, we're not gonna experience, we're not gonna start hearing the news out of Wuhan until December. And right. we're not gonna start worrying about that news until January. Right. And then of course, lockdown in March. And then the summer, I mean, we thought the lockdown was bad, and then the summer, but it's a year ago. Go back a year. It's last fall. We just had our 20th anniversary, and I'm in the midst of starting the writing process and the research process. And I remember it's a year ago, and I'm writing about, you know, the French Revolution and cultural Marxism and critical race theory, which at the time, nobody's talking about. And I'm thinking to myself... Why am I writing about this? Like, are people going to care? I actually thought that. Are they going to care about these subjects? Like, they are, they're not the point. They're just indicators to me of how man responds related to power. The issue of power, the abuse of power. And these are obviously very, very relevant subjects right now. The issue of power, who has it, who doesn't. The oppressed, the powerful, the abuse of that power. That's not what the book's about. It's just a part of the book. But I'm writing these things. And I'm going, wow, I get in my own heart why I'm writing it, but why am I writing this? Yeah. And now it's a year later, the book's coming out, and I'm thinking very different thoughts. Like, yeah. oh, man, people are going to think I'm hopping on the opportunistic train. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care in one sense. I, I wrote what I wrote. But, uh, but it is so bizarre to me. The, somebody said it to me. They go, man, your, your PR agent is brilliant the uh, Holy Spirit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember you, you, you in the very beginning when the publisher approached you about writing a book, you're like, man, I have a couple of thoughts. And you were just talking to several of us to get our opinions of what you should write about. And, and you, this was already brewing in your heart, but you didn't, you were, you said those same words, like, I don't know if it's going to be relevant enough to people like to actually read. And, and I'm like, bro, just, do it. Like, you know, we're foreigner ministry. Like you just got to <laughs> say what needs to be said. And of course you were encouraged by others and you went for it. And I remember that season. Cause I mean, you were, and you were in the clouds with so much data points about things. Every conversation was about the French revolution and like all this wow. stuff you were doing research on. And, uh, and of course now you've packaged it in a way that's very understandable for, for any believer to read. I was, uh, you know, just looking through it and I want to focus, um, you know, you have three parts to it and we're going to do three podcasts so i want to focus on 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 uh you know this this first part of course i was even uh you know some of the the comments from those that um gave their their recommendations i was i was struck by you know there's a a real um what's the word i'm looking for there's a an almost an ecumenical understanding that we are living in a significant time yeah meaning there's not just one belief system it's Mm -hmm. not just one denomination it's A lot of us are reading like, you know what, whatever your belief system, clearly something's going on yeah. and it's beyond just coincidence or normal course of human history. God is starting to allow things. Darkness is starting to, but then we also see great things happening at the same time. And so, um, so th- your first chapter says that preparing to engage in the future now, now th- that's very interesting because you're, you're, you're talking about a concept, a timeline concept of the future and then you're talking about the present and normally those are separate things, but you're seeking to merge those two realities together yes help me understand what is the future that we can experience now
2: well that that's almost the problem with a global pandemic, race riots, burning cities uh, an election in November. The problem with it is that this you know how many jokes have you heard about 2020 right oh, and, and countless memes
0: it's because I forwarded
1: those memes too.
2: <laughs> Well, the the problem is 2020 is the most unique year, maybe in 70 years. Wow. I mean, what what year would be like 2020 globally prior, you know, post-1945? What year would be like this? I'm not comparing this era to World War II. I'm just saying in terms of a global dilemma, this is the first one like this that we've had you know, maybe the Cuban Missile Crisis, but that was that was the threat of a global holocaust because of two powerful nations. This is about 10 things that are happening at once, economically, politically, socially. There's so many things colliding that we're living in a unique year, but the problem in one sense is still the same as last year. We're people of the moment. Yeah. And the the Bible wasn't preparing us for 2020. The Bible was preparing us for the unique season of the Lord's return. Right. And so if we take the lessons of today and apply them with urgency to prepare for tomorrow, we're, we're uh, we'll experience tomorrow differently than this pop quiz called 2020, wow. but we tend not to, we tend to focus mostly on today's frustrations and inconveniences mm-hmm. and how hard today is economically, right. socially, politically. And, and, uh, and again, the idea that this is the, the mere whisper, this is the mere hint of a global trauma that's coming, a global crisis that's coming, that's point one. Just that this year was unimaginable to us last year. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we have this problem called we don't believe the prophets. Yeah. Think about how many biblical interpretation systems are built around that can't be. Yes, that. That can't be. But then suddenly 2020 at least introduces the possibility that maybe it could be. Yes, but the idea that it will be and therefore what are you going to do about it right you only pre- you only prepare for the future today when you believe that that prophesied future is coming mm-hmm. right. that's part one that do you actually believe this stuff right and 2020 is the lord's early apologetic for i really do exist mm-hmm. like i really do right and i and things are really going to change and you you're not going to get to kind of have your nice western you know prosperous life it's just not that's not how the story is supposed to go right that's part one then part two of what you're asking is then the other problem not only are we not really taking tomorrow seriously we don't take God's entrance into tomorrow seriously that our biggest crisis is not a pandemic an economic crisis a racial social crisis a political crisis that is You know, right now the biggest crisis is that trump could win or the biggest crisis is that biden could win and depending on who you are like there's folks i just preached on sunday i made a throwaway comment about the president that had nothing to do with the president but that's for some people that's all they heard wow because the fear of the future represented by who's in office has them really myopic really fixated on today in a real fear-based way they're not able to have a free heart to engage with the future. Right. They're mostly thinking whoever wins we're done. Either Hitler's going to win or Antifa's going to win and we're done. You know, it's like that's kind of the place where most people find themselves. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself that the Bible describes a very different problem than who's the president of the United States. Right. The Bible gives our biggest problem. God is coming to the earth to bring changes.
1: Yeah. And I you know I'm I, I'm not encouraged by what you said, but that that so resonates with what i see in scripture that that it's you know so often we see oh gosh i've said this before i'm trying to come up with better words but we see god as our servant you know as this as this santa claus who answers our requests if we're good i mean all of our theologies get jumbled up in this ecosystem of dysfunction because you know now the grace message we have it off now our our knowledge of god we 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 have it off because at the end of the day you know when god comes to the the he disrupts everything and of course that's that's a subject matter in in your book in one of your chapters and and he's the divine disruptor and so it is our biggest problem you know we think that him coming will solve things well yeah it will but not the way we want it to or the way we think it should
2: yeah there's a there's like you said there's so many kind of fractured thoughts about the future out there one of them would be a real large contingent that we are all connected to called the charismatic world and the charismatic world their view of the future is mostly naive that yeah it's bad now but hope and glory god is coming and it's going to be awesome don't worry it's bad now but it's bad but it's going to be awesome yeah and it's going to be awesome is um potentially tragically naive when it comes to the subject of god invading the world right it's um it's really yeah. it just really isn't reflective of what you see in biblical history when god invades Yeah. when god steps into the picture the the issue of the nation's rage is the issue of what the human heart does when god steps in yeah. that's where we're naive we're not it's not that we're naive about god i don't want to look at amazing christian leaders in the charismatic world who i really love and respect I don't want to call them naive on a podcast. That's just so arrogant. Yeah,
1: yeah, I hear But you.
2: I do want to acknowledge that I think we are naive related to the complexity of the human heart in relationship to the holiness of God. Right. Mm. And that's that's where the Bible's not naive. The Bible's very right. clear that, that man is not mostly good and man is not mostly decent. You know, we're not moral creatures right. just needing to band together to make it happen. Right. Yeah. We are fallen creatures who aren't, it's not that Paul said in Romans three, we fall short of the goodness of God. We fall short of the righteousness of God. Something is wrong with us. Right. And when right steps into the room, there's the thing
1: that's wrong with
2: us is that we think we're
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, no, that's exactly it.
0: I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I love your point of what you made about 2020 being a pop quiz, because I, I think that's very true in a litmus test kind of way. The Christian now is determining whether or not they're putting their trust in their finances, their health, whether or not there's a vaccine coming out. And we often put our hope in the next president or whoever we're electing. And we're realizing, actually, there is no good choice here. So who do I put my trust in? And then, even your point of the Bible, we're like, are we, one, are we reading it and understanding it? Are we putting our trust in the Bible more than our circumstances? And then your other point of realizing that actually we're falling short of the righteousness of God means, actually, wait a second, Ananias and Sapphira. That isn't part of the Old Testament where we see God as the judge. It's actually part of the new, new covenant where we're actually coming under the mercy and the blood and the covering, yet we still think, that doesn't apply to us. Right. Still think we're allowed right. to lie to the Holy Spirit. You know, and, well
1: said. And really well I, said, it just in continuation with what you were saying, you know, in, in chapter two, you're talking about divine justice, return of Jesus. There's this. There's this paragraph. I'd like to read it just because I think it 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 it, cap, it captures what you were mentioning about uh, us not knowing God and His disruption is going to afflict us. You know, you say in page 50, it says, it is hard for us to imagine what he w- what it will be like. The God of heaven and earth, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all creation will express his power and declare his will on a global scale during one climactic moment of redemptive history in which every man, woman, and child on earth will have to reckon with who he is and what he desires to do as he makes his name known to all of course you're you're talking about some relevant historical points in this chapter but what i what i appreciate with this is that no one is exempt from this like you're not saying you and them or they like you're saying we like all of us will have to reckon with him and in the sense that we don't know him behold he is god we do not know him like there's there's character strengths of his holiness that we don't comprehend or understand. And I'll, I'll say this, I was with a friend that I highly respect actually. And we were grieving over how much we don't like God's words. We don't like his methods. We don't like his patience in, with injustice, you know? We don't like it. Like we want to take matters into our own hands and, and end the life of the oppressor, you know? And think that's righteous. Yet God's words in Romans 12 is clear. Vengeance is mine. He is a jealous God, and if you defend yourself, you act like you have no advocate, so then you stand before God without the blood of Jesus. I mean, who wants to do that, right? We've learned from the Pharisees. That doesn't work, and so that you are, are, are exposing this. this is what, this is actually what sobers me because it makes me realize like, no, I, I'm going to have to reckon with my, my arguments against, against God you know like well if you were really powerful then you would do something about this mm-hmm. or if you were really good you wouldn't let things happen you know we, we end up asking the existential question
2: i mean change the word you just used argument put in the accurate word which is accusation <laughs>
1: yeah. and
2: that's that's the appointment that the human race has i'll say this, to me this is the most terrifying point that could be made the earth is scheduled for an appointment. And it is a book of Job moment where everyone puts their face in the dust at, at the revealing of the truth of who God really is. Everyone is struck. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow. And they will bow of their own free will, even if their heart is filled with contempt and hatred. Because the book of Job moment is the revealing of the truth of who God really is in a way that vindicates his name and what we associate with his name. That's the majestic splendor of what God's going to do across the world in that moment. That moment is where the accusation of the human race is removed as it is attached to God's name. However we associate God's name, God goes, no, I'm jealous that you who I made rightly associate who I really am with my name. I dictate the terms of how I am understood. I have given you this very long season to reconcile with who I am. But there is a moment in which that is done. I love you. I do not take pleasure in your death if you're wicked. I want you to repent, all of you. But but there's only a certain amount of time that I'm going to allow you to define who I am to one another. I am going to define me. Yeah. And I am not going to allow on the earth, you're going to have your free will forever. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to allow you to define me. Yeah, That's like ooh, the know. book of Job moment globally. That's terrifying Bro, to consider. That,
1: that's, I was just reading the book of Job just a few days ago and it did terrify me. And you know, what was interesting is that Elihu and Job were both, you know, God confronted both of them. But he received Job. In in confronting Job's questioning, he received his prayers for Eli, Elihu. You know, that was an interesting thing because, you know, Job was in some, I don't know, I honestly don't know why. I mean, I'm like staring at it and like Elihu's trying to exegete God and kind of create things that I, I think are Jesus and white ideologies, you know, like, well, he wouldn't do that if, you know, and, and God shuts him down. He's like, you spoke wrong about me because, he, were, you know, Elihu was trying to defend God. And he's like, I don't need no defense. You know, that's the whole point, right? But with Job he 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 counts him righteous even through that confrontation and all the mockery i loved god's mockery you know like he's like surely you know surely you were there you know that the sarcasm i mean that's intense if god's sarcastic yeah. with you like i'd be I freaking know. out
0: but i what i actually love is that god's not afraid of the conversation job wanted a conversation and he wanted to know what god was actually like whereas the others just accused god and told job what to do but weren't necessarily willing to have a real conversation to know the truth of God.
1: Well, and they didn't, that's exactly it. I, I see Job and, and, or the friends of Job and they were exegeting God. Yeah. They were describing God, but Oof. not engaging in conversation. Yeah.
0: That's, Oof. that's scary.
2: <laughs> we, we do that. Yes, we do. I do that. Yeah. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> For real.
1: Yeah. And I, th- that's my point is that. That is what he's com- gonna confront us with. And I just think of you know, fall on the rock and, and, and be broken, lest you the rock fall on you and you're crushed. You know, I think of this, 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 this phrase that Mike often says of shock me now, not then, you know, because you know, I just think of Peter's words, like the deception's gonna be so great that even the elect yeah. will be deceived if it were possible. And I, and I and I just think about the great falling away and Isaiah 63 Jesus in red like is something we have to contend with now because he's coming as the as the the bridegroom as the king and as the judge and and I know we talk about it but like are we prepared for it and this 2020 I think is confronting us are we rising up in militant boldness that we can somehow be the solution through you know outspoken commentaries on social you know media or different things or are we repenting and beginning to cry out again? And I'm not trying to boot, do the us and them thing. I think we all have mixture, and we all need to repent. I mean, I think that's... that's And that's what I love about your book. You're basically expo- helping uh, add to the conversation of, guys, we need to repent. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I... It is a... We have... A tragically high opinion of ourselves and a tragically low yeah. opinion of God. And that informs our day to day behaviors and our prayerlessness, our, our, the lip service that we give to spirituality. The, um, all, I mean, all of it is our lack of perspective, our lack of wisdom, our disconnect from the real problem, the real issue. We we just we take the problems of today and we try to figure out how we can make it work tomorrow, and in a way that we're not quite ready to admit, we are we can be as functional in our relationship with God as the Israelites. It's like you know if the, if the crops are working and the money's right, we're good. You and I, Yahweh. Yeah. Well, no, He's there's, there's so much more. There there right. is more to what we are and who we are together. Than what you've reduced this to, because because again, remember what God wanted was I want to, for you, Israel, I actually want to you to build a tent by which my manifest presence I will live with you, mm-hmm. different than every other nation of the earth. I'll live with you, and you know in that in one sense that's the the story that I'm telling a bit in the book. That's I don't go into this because it would have been a 500 page book, <laughs> yeah. but that's where the story begins. God does say to Moses, you know, the central thesis of the book, if I go with you, it is really hard for you. That's the naivete. Like in, in our charismatic kind of naivete, we think more God is better with blessing and favor and promotion and crowds and happy people and it, it, just, it all works. And, and God says the exact opposite to Moses. He goes, why don't I send an angel? Because actually the things that you want are angelic. And the things that I want relationally, you kind of don't. So if I come, it's going to create dynamics. It's going to create complexities. It's going to create collisions. And that's, that's what we're needing to grapple with, that God dwells in their midst. But God dwelling in their midst actually amplified and accelerated their darkness. God didn't do it. It's man in relationship yeah. or man in proximity. And God, God's, God's just not naive about us. Because no, I know what happens when I become your next door neighbor. When I become your next door neighbor, if just my words in the law, if just Deuteronomy, Romans 7, that I'm kind of hinting at Romans 7 right now. I'm building off of that for these ideas. You know, just think about it like this. God's, in essence, to paraphrase, saying, if... My words on a page related to boundaries ignite all kinds of sin within you. What did Paul say? When I was ignorant, I was happy. But as soon yeah. as I knew the law, as soon as I knew the rules, all I wanted to do was the opposite of what I knew I should do, you know? Right. It's like the law says to do this, and now, boom, that was the occasion for my flesh to rise up, for sin to have an opportunity, there, or importunity would be the word. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a persistence by which sin started knocking at the door as yeah. soon as the boundary was made clear. Right. Those are just words on a page. And, you know, the point could be made, if words on a page incite and ignite your Romans 7 sinful desires, the moment you see 55, you just want to drive 75. Yeah. It's, just, it's in you. And so if words on a page do that to you, what do I do in my holiness when I become your next door neighbor in the Holy of Holies? My holy presence. What does that do? And so you see this acceleration of darkness. Israel becomes more sinful than all the nations they had supplanted to take the land. Yeah. Those nations were dark. They were sinful. They were, de- they were demonized. Yeah. But by the time you get to Ezekiel, Judah had gone far beyond those nations in wickedness. And there's, there's, an, uh, there's a statement to be made about the dangerous dynamics of the holiness of God in proximity to sinful man. Yeah. Because we d- we're naive about the gap. Right. God is not. And so the book in one sense is about what happens when revival comes to town, when God becomes your next door neighbor through revival, when God breaks in in his manifest presence, when God brings justice, how do human beings respond? And so the idea that we have to prepare for an intense future of persecution, that's how people kind of reduce the end times. Yeah. The book has a new idea that it's not just a negative future and it's not just a positive future. It's a God future, and if it's a God future, you have to prepare. We don't think about preparing for God. We just think it'll all take care of itself, and yeah. when God shows up, everything will be great. It's like, no, you don't get what's in your own heart right. and what happens when he shows up.
0: So how did we even get to this point of believing that the more of God means the more prosperity, the more whatever? Th- you know what I mean?
1: I mean, I th- I'd like to, because I, I read a, a portion where you talk about Acts 2 and Acts 3. And you know, Acts two, we see this what we consider to be a that yeah. prosperity, crowds, favor, and uh, but God answers this in a different way. And and I think that we have I, I love. I actually heard you and Stuart uh, Sherry on a lecture one time about we approach the scriptures from this position of of prosperity and power. Like we read the the promises and the words from that from that and you know from that place but really it comes from a position of weakness and affliction and oppression right and so i think that our problem has been our blessing i mean at least that's my two cents our, our experiences as an, as an american yeah. uh, as they say you know experiment you know, is that prosperity, the deceitfulness of riches has confused us from the actual message of the scriptures that we are broken and in need of a God whom we do not know and have not yet seen. I mean, and of course... I don't want to give it away too much because I'm still in the middle of my research. But my, my research uh, that I've been working on is about that. It's, it's that an awakening, a, a revival is, is a rude awakening more than it is an awakening, you know, because God steps in with a glimpse of his glory and it dismantles systems, organizations, movements, ideologies, because yeah. he he's declares his name. And some repent, but many turn with an offended heart and that's that's what I what I see in this book Be, you beginning to to you know to open up is that there is an offended human race when god reveals himself he, he, you know, the human race doesn't just be like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and a line, right. you know, it takes the Holy Spirit, the gift of repentance to turn to him with yeah. mourning and weeping, a Joel to moment. And I believe it's coming to the church. And that's that's why this is such a relevant text, Dave. And, and I, I'm not flattering you. I'm just acknowledging Appreciate the that. grace of God on your life to rightly describe the moment we're living in. Mm. That the, the Lord is calling us not to rise up with a bravado statement of superiority and dominance. He's calling us to repent. Right. Joel 2 wasn't about, hey, guys, stand up and declare God's name amongst the congregation and go to the nations. It was repent. Judgment begins with the house of God. And I think that that, that is, that is where, where, we're, where we're going. So yeah. to answer your question, I think we've had so much activity devoid of god that we've created constructs right. spiritual religious constructs to advance a method a, a moralistic lifestyle that we've done it without actual i mean i'm being a little intense with this statement but i'm feeling it so <laughs> but we, you know we love it we 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 have we haven't actually hosted god's character in our midst we've hosted systems and religious ideologies and we
2: have hosted to steal somebody else's term we have hosted this presence and part of the part of the problem that you're identifying in culture is, I mean, going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, but even all the way back even before that, there there is in the Bible a dynamic relationship between God's presence and blessing. There is. Obed-Edom's house was inarguably blessed. When God is in your house, it's not only bad news for your sinful heart, it is also actually quite good news. And so the... So the blessing and the prosperity and the fruitfulness and the beauty, because because God isn't just holy, God is beautiful. Yeah. So when beauty comes calling, and there's folks that are focusing on the beauty dimension of God, that when beauty comes calling, he makes things beautiful. And we associate beauty with prosperity as we should. It is. And so what's the story of Genesis? It's the story of the beauty and the prosperity that comes with God's presence. But men don't want the accountability, the holiness, the right. righteousness. I want to be right and dwell in beauty i want to live yeah. in hawaii or right. tuscany but my yeah. own way and god goes well you can't you can get Not the beauty right. and the prosperity but that also comes with the accountability and the and the, the boundaries mm-hmm. like you have to yield you have to submit and man's sinful heart we want half of that yeah. and so so much of the story is men trying to get the blessing the prosperity that the house of obededom blessing yeah. with the presence of the lord without the accountability without the the rules the boundaries the structure and so um and so you could develop a pretty robust theology of presence and blessing you're just telling half the story right and you know so the and that is the problem there's a good portion of the church that tells one half of the story which is blessing prosperity glory beauty and i mean we want more beauty so that's a Absolutely. good story to tell <laughs> right it is a good story to tell but then there's the other side of the church and we're that side is very loud right now. The the beauty side is real quiet cuz they're kind of on their heels yeah. cuz they've only told the positive and it's not a very positive moment. Right. And so they're a little quiet right now actually if you've noticed, but the other group that was quiet for a season, they're real loud right now, which is the it's negative, it's bad. Right. It's it's hard, you know, it's the uh the fundamentalists on defense kind of Bad hard times. We got to grit our teeth. We got to overcome, right. and so uh, and so that group's getting all the airtime right now. But uh, but again, of course, the the Bible tells both stories simultaneously. Right, yeah. right. And that's the that's the challenge. And so, yeah. well,
1: as we bring this, uh, this, this episode to a close, you know, I kind of want to <laughs> leave on a high note uh, in, in, in your, there are some high notes. I know. There right? really there, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about this. You talk about Isaiah 42, you know, you, you start to describe it about the end time worship prayer, uh, movement, the proclamation that accompanies this, this moment. Can you just quickly give us a summary of how you see Isaiah 42 playing out? During this time of rage. Oh, bro. <laughs> I know so, it's a hard one to summarize.
2: <laughs> well, no, it's just, it's going to open up a big but beautiful can of worms. <laughs> and that, that, this is, this is the good news. The good news, it's not quite what we think the good news is, but the good news is this. The good news is the Lord will have a corporate global reflection of his heart before the end.
1: not that beautiful?
2: The, the, uh, the church is going to be Beautiful. Like like the beauty story. The beauty story is a stirring and powerful story. And the God that makes all things beautiful, he's going to start with the bride. He's going to make the whole earth beautiful. But before the second coming, the bride will be beautiful. Yeah. The bride will be great. Um, you know, I said it this weekend. This will be six weeks ago by the time we, we run this. But, you know, I call it the global white horse. The, the, the end of the story isn't really a signs, wonders, stadium, mass revival story. The end of the story is a tender, merciful, I call it the global Ed Hackett. Which yeah. I don't know if listeners would know oh who that gosh, is, but, so but, uh, but it, it's whoever the nicest person you can think of, the mm-hmm. kindest, the sweetest, the most gentle. Just picture that person and imagine the body of Christ globally being that way towards their worst enemies. Wow. Come on. That's the key. The key isn't that we are a global ad hackant towards one another because we we're excited about a global kumbaya moment. Yeah. We're excited about the global family and the way that we love one another. They'll know that they are Christians by our love, and we just we contextualize that as how we enjoy one another. Mm-hmm. And that is powerful. That is beautiful. But that's not the beauty that the Lord is producing from the garden of the global church. The garden is going to be even more beautiful in that the way that we would be at our best towards one another, Mm -hmm. enjoying one another, is actually how we will be by grace towards our worst enemies. Yeah, Um,
1: It's the Matthew 5, it's the Romans 12, you know, love your adversaries, pray for those who persecute you. When we
2: think about the cross... We primarily, because we're Protestant, think about the propitiation of the cross. We think about what the cross purchased or made possible. Maybe, maybe we think about the cross in terms of our own worth and beauty to Jesus to sacrifice for love. So we either think about the functionality of salvation, which is a good subject, justification, or we think about love and His reach for us from the cross, which is beautiful, We rarely stop to think that Global Ed Hackett was personified by a man named Jesus, who was the kindest man you'd ever met, who was, we think blameless because we're thinking propitiation. We don't think blameless in terms of, they hated me without cause, John 15. I am the nicest guy you've ever met. I'm the most enjoyable, safe person. I mean, think about the kind of man that kids would run to, all kids would run to him without help, in a way that the disciples got annoyed by, actually, if you read the narrative. Mm -hmm. Like, they're annoyed by how many kids love Jesus. Like, Jesus was so kind and tender and meek, that meekness made him safe in a way that we can't grasp, and they crucified that man. Yeah we we don't pause to think about that yeah. the 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 condemnation of the world that's going to be an apologetic for God's judgment is that the lord is going to raise up the kindest love your enemies people you've ever seen it's going to be the most charitable generous overflowing with with big love for unlovable people that's the key it's unlovable people it's wicked it's the it's the right now we want justice for the pedophile the lord's going to raise up a christ like tender meek merciful heart towards that kind of person wow. and it's going to be expressed globally in unity by the power of the holy spirit with signs and wonders and that's the kind of people the earth will trample underfoot. The Lord is going to raise up the most beautiful flower ever produced by grace, and the earth will trample it. Yeah, That's the condemnation. That's the controversy. That's the dichotomy. That's the rage of the nations in one sentence is that the good news is who we're going to become, not just what we're gonna do, not just the crowds that are gonna to gather to us, not just the power we're gonna express, the good news is who we're gonna become and how that's going to feel and our free heart. To love your enemies to that level means you got a free heart, they can't touch yeah. you. Yeah, There's not a circumstance, there's not a wicked act, there's not a thing they can do to you or your family True. that's going to touch that love. An untouchable love is going to be sealed. Song of 86. that's a real moment coming to the church on the earth. Mm. That kind of love is going to be sealed like fire onto you in a way they can't touch. Wow. It's going to feel so good. It's going to be so good. But then even when the world responds in rage, we're going to go down fighting for love. We're still going to love them even as they trample us.
1: Yeah.
0: That's good.
1: And I don't, I mean, if I confess, I, I don't know if we're ready for that. Unless, we're not. Unless the Lord begins to shake the nations. Little by little, you know, he's kind, he's patient.
2: He shakes the nations, we sound a trumpet, we sound a little bit of an alarm, we sing. and we enter our way there by grace. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you want to cry, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah
1: so and it, But it, it strangely makes me so grateful yes. that, you know, that this trouble is, useful to god to mature his bride so that we might stand with him and therefore live with him forever yeah. you know like it's like you don't want to go through trouble especially if you were raised in relative prosperity but yet it's his kindness that he would shepherd us through the valley i know the music is playing but let me stick this in <laughs> what if
2: i said to you if you go through this trouble it means you are completely delivered from every molecule of a spirit of betrayal, all accusation. Yes, it's trouble, but this trouble is going to cleanse you. You will be 100% free of all betrayal and accusation, and you'll have the freest, most tender heart you've ever experienced. What would you think about the trouble?
0: Bring it. <laughs>
2: Romans, Romans 5, verse 4, therefore we rejoice in tribulation because we know what tribulation will produce right
1: oh but it just sounds so much better preached than thought oh, as a future <laughs> path you know yeah. like. it's because we would rather be trouble free than sin free yeah wow oh that's a statement that's a dagger <laughs> we'd rather be trouble free than sin free oh thanks. god help us let's meditate on that one for a week <laughs> huh
0: for real thanks for joining us today I love you guys. Blowing our minds and hearts, as always. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't. We you just had. we know, we really did. Just have two things. We had our. We had our book of Job moment right now. We really did.
1: That's pray, what we're
2: feeling right now. Pray
1: for us, and, but
2: we're also having a Romans eleven thirty three moment. Oh, the riches of the depths and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. Who who would come up with a plan like this? And it's striking us. Yeah. So Lord, do it. Yes, Lord. All throughout the week, just. Give us those Romans 11:33 moments, those moments where we're stunned yes. and fascinated by the God that would come up with a plan like this, that would just leave us in the dust without words, because you're so good. You're so good. Yes. Introduce us to your goodness in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen.
0: If you haven't seen our previous podcast, go ahead and find us on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, Spotify, any outlet that you have. And we look forward to seeing you next week as we continue this conversation. So we'll see you next Friday, 2 p.m. Central Time.
1: Peace.